Cosmic Salon, and I have a very special person to introduce. I will tell you that I have been calling out to the universe and anyone that's followed me through Nox Mente and the Obelisk and in my personal life knows this on my quest to understand the idea of these vessels we inhabit within the idea of possession and and entries and spiritual walkouts and walk-ins and all that. I had been looking for someone that had experience with exorcisms and the strange and that was open to synchronicities and near-death experiences, but was also called to be a reverend and work in all the capacities in which that deeper idea is. So from India to America to far out in the woo-woo, and this person exists. <laughs> His name is Reverend Bill McDonald, and I am so thrilled to have you here, Reverend Bill. Will you come on and give us a, a short bio about who you are and what leads you to this point in time? I was born. That's a spoilers alert. <laughs> it, it wasn't a virgin birth. Uh, it wasn't in a manger, although people accuse me of being living, you know, being born in a barn. But uh, actually, there's a funny story about my birth, since this is a chit chat thing anyway. Yeah. Uh, my, my mother already had a couple children before I was uh, conceived. And she goes to the hospital and says, I'm getting ready to delivery. Here I am. <laughs> They go, no, 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 no. We'll be the judge of that. We need to give you an enema first, prepare you. You know where the story is going, right? So yes. I come early, apparently. <laughs> and uh, and there I plop into this uh, steel, cold steel, <laughs> metal container of oh, life's, life's crap, right? <laughs> so I was born with a mouthful. And uh, being a good Irishman, uh, I, I've continued to spoof forth and uh, there's no stopping me. So <laughs> trying to introduce myself with a label. I'm just a little fat Irishman that likes to talk, although now I just got my genealogy done with Ancestor, and they say, I'm more Scottish than Irish. So <laughs> Yeah, so now i got to go out and measure for a kilt or something. <laughs> to replace my electric uh, ukulele and my banjo. And, and, yeah. and anyway, <laughs> With I, the pipes. That's it. So in an essence, I feel like I'm just now – doing what I was supposed to have been doing coming into this world. It's like the first 74 years of my life prepared me for the present moment. So it's been unfolding, but it hasn't been big gaps. It's just, think about it like this. My younger years were like kindergarten. A little later on, it was like grammar school. Going to Vietnam and fighting in the war and going through that was like university study for a soul, right? And now I'm kind of in, been through grad school, you know, getting older. So I felt like I've now reached a place that when somebody comes to me seeking help, advice, somebody to lean on, somebody to listen to, I have a, a background which is more inclusive and, and more able to reach out and, and to gather in what they need. So it's a path that I've taken it seems deliberately at, at times it seemed haphazard, but looking back, it seems like everything happened in its time, in its place, when it was supposed to happen. And it's all led me to your doorstep 
cosmic place for him now, right? The salon. <laughs> I'm coming to you without even wearing a mask other than the, the mask that we all really wear. Yes. We all disguise this beautiful soul as something else. Yes. As whatever ego we're, we're masking ourselves with. Because in an essence, there's only one behind the mask, right? It's, yes. it's all us. Us is you and me. Yes. Right? <laughs> us is I. <laughs> so I don't know if that's much of an introduction, but just as a background, I've written a bunch of books. Everybody writes books. That's not a big deal. I'm out there doing workshops, uh, mostly in the veteran community, uh, but I also go out to people that are looking for meaning and purpose in life. I, I try to keep small workshops, small seminars, because I, I like that one-on-one experience. I do big talks. I've talked five, six, seven, eight hundred people, thousand people oh, in wow. India, bigger than that, and then television, radio, and podcasts and all that. I really feel best sometimes engaged in a conversation. That's why I'm glad you're not calling this an interview. I, I feel better in a conversation where I, I get to listen, bounce things. I get asked crazy, weird questions, which I never consider any of that because I usually discover something from these oddball places people want to go with their question. And I, I go to a recess of my mind or my cosmic being that I never occupied before, at least mm-hmm. to my knowledge openly. <laughs> so then I discover things. There's not a day in my life, the last, especially the last 20, 30 years where, I don't feel enriched by the experiences of my life. Even when the experiences are like, I'm so sick, I'm having open heart surgery, I'm dying, Mm. things are happening, you know, uh, crazy stuff, right? And I look at it all as a gift because even when I was having open heart surgery and they rip open my chest and I have a near-death experience and everything, going, you know, well, this is over and I'm better. This can make a hell of a story that that I could tell Nish, right? (laughs) So, So everything serves a purpose. Disease, bad things, good things, silence, everything. And there really is a time and a place for everything. I've been on this literal journey around the world. I mean, really around the world. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in Peru and Bolivia and Vietnam and in China and India in particular and Europe, Canada, you know, all over South Pacific. But you know what? When you get to be my age in your mid seventies, you look and you say, you know what? It never mattered where you were at physically. It's always where you're at in your heart. Yes. And so the big lesson from 2020 worldwide, this is the good thing. Let's look at some good things about 2020. Yes. Because I mean, there's all the evil conspiracy garbage. There's people unfortunately dying sick, you know, and making it political. And there's all that. Don't even want to go there. There's a lot of good though. I, I, I agree with you because what's happening, first off, on an esoteric level, this is cyclic. About every hundred years or so, we're going to go through something like that. But what the good news is, this disease has not been as fatal as the next big one that's coming. Mm-hmm. In other words, we're due for a, a real biblical pandemic. Yeah. I mean, something like the Black Plague kind of thing, right? Something that's going to be really obviously bad and you can be able to argue it away and say it's going to disappear go away no the next one's going to be whether the next one takes five years ten years but it's coming down the road so what we've learned or what we are learning hopefully from how we handled this worldwide how england handled it how america handled it how brazil and russia and china handled it we're going to look at what worked what didn't work worldwide and i think we're going to be prepared and I think there'll be some protocols in place. That is my hope that this is our dress rehearsal for something really awful and bad coming. Reverend Bill, I feel in a way, on top of the fact that people got to hopefully use this time also to self-reflect, which I think is a great gift when we're talking about consciousness and self. But this does feel almost like a gift in the way that it's a, a trial run. And you're right, though. Self-reflection is not a bad thing. I mean, the real good thing on this, had this happened 30 years ago, 1990, without the Internet, I mean, Internet for a few college people, I mean, but not for the masses, right? Yeah. 
people would have been going up a wall. March 16th was my birthday this year, and I couldn't go out to eat. There was a brand new restaurant opening in town, and it was an Italian restaurant. I'm going there for my birthday, right? Well, on the 16th, every restaurant in pretty much California where I live was closed. And I thought, wow, I already knew things were going bad. In February, I had 34 events planned. I mean, everything from Mexico City to Ireland to England to Wales, uh, Seattle, the West Coast, the East Coast, Connecticut, all kinds of places. I had things planned, trips and, you know, I was going to speak Maui, everything. And then in February, I knew it ain't going to happen. This is before, the, I mean, at the time our president was saying, it's going to go away. Don't worry about it. Nobody's died. It's going to be a piece of cake. And at that time, I was telling people, and everybody thought I was the great exaggerator. Mm-hmm. I, say, I said, in 2020, 300,000 people in the United States will die from this. Mm-hmm. People looked at me like, come on. There's none, right? Mm-hmm. In February, there's none, right? And in March, there was like a handful, right? And I'm saying, no, 300,000. And right now we're looking at about 200,000 today. And so I don't think I'm far off. It's, it's a prediction that I didn't want to be right about. I mean, I'd love to be proven wrong. I'd love to say, oh, it's not going to be. But, you know, it is what it is. And it's not like none of this was predestined. And it's not like, oh, all these innocent people. Well, they are innocent of doing anything this lifetime deserve. But you know what? It's our karmic clock. Yeah. We in the world that are going to be leaving during this time, and there's a lot of people leaving at this time. If it wouldn't have been this, it would have been something else. They would have got run over on a highway. They would have dropped dead of a heart attack. Yeah. I really do believe that we have a predetermined use by date, right? <laughs> like we're a milk carton on the date there's used by December 20th, you know, 2020. <laughs> you know. Forgetting that for a minute, because that's it's really for the people that have lost somebody, there's absolutely zero humor in that. Yeah. But there should be a realization that nobody really goes before their time. It's our life. And it's kind of planned out before we come here. We kind of know what's going on. We have a destiny. We have our people say, well, you got your free will. Yeah, but your free will created this destiny. That's a part of it that they forget. Your previous lifetimes, if you want to go with me on that, if you believe it, if you yes. don't believe it, yes. go along with this for a minute. Because believe it, and it makes it a lot easier to handle what's happening now because that gives you a rhyme and a reason. And it means the universe is just not a random dartboard where God says, oh, you're going to be born with no limbs and you're blind and you're going to die at 20 and you're going to live to 109 years old, but you'll have dementia at 50, you know? So <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of faith out there. You got no control over, right? So I'm saying it's everything that happens to you individually at some level, it was created by your free will, by the choices that you made in the past leading to this. Now, you live in the United States, you live in Germany, you live in Japan, you live in Russia, wherever country you have. The country you're born into, there is a group karma. In other words, the souls coming into this, there's a karma for like United States. We had slavery, we shot Indians, we treated the uh, uh, Irish coming into this country as slaves. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, the, the Japanese, we locked them up during the Second War. Yes. We go down the list of things that we've done, how we treated blacks in this country and Mexicans and, and Chinese coming in from China. So we've built karma. Just like the Japanese built karma from World War II and Germans got karma from you know the Nazi Germany and all that. Every country has a little different kind of karma. But if you choose to live in that country and to, to socialize and be a part of that you're going to suffer along with it. Now, I use the word suffer very loosely here because I really think having pain and having things happen is not necessarily suffering. Yes. Suffering is a choice. For example, you got a bad relationship. You got a bad marriage. You can deal with it and work with it, do what you got to do, make decisions. Or you can complain about it and suffer and agonize every day and and the rest of your life you're always complaining about it and you're suffering. Or if you get a disease, well, you know, everybody gets pain. Pain is unavoidable. Pain is unavoidable at some level, mental, physical, or even spiritual, which is the worst kind of pain. And I say that because I'm counseling some some people around the world that 
if I boiled everything down to their problems, it's really about spiritual pain. Mm-hmm. It's about the spiritual diseases in their life. And, and that manifests itself in having no forgiveness for others nor themselves. And it's important you got to forgive yourself. And it, it's about treating people with respect and dignity. And there's all these areas I call spiritual diseases, spiritual, spiritual diseases. You know, let's believe it at that. So we go about our daily lives, we live them, we love them, we embrace them. And if you do that, you're all right. But there's people out there like right now in this, on this pandemic, they're cursing and swearing, my God, you want me to wear a mask? You want me to stay in my house? It's my rights. I can do this. I can do that. And I'm going, you know what? You can fight it all you want. A disease, the disease is not a red state thing. It's not a blue state thing. It's not a... It's not a political thing. The disease has no political parties and no religion. It's going to hit you wherever you're at, right? Loves you all. Just like the rain, it falls on the rich and the poor. So you can moan and groan about what's happening, or you can adjust to what's happening. So what I'm doing, as I went back to regressing to where I was, I saw in February that all the things I was planning to do, going to Mexico City, uh, going to Hawaii, going to all these different places, speaking to, to large groups, small groups, taking trips. I had trips lined up. I had airline tickets. I had everything ready to go. And I canceled everything. I even canceled locally. I, I canceled some guest sermons in Reno and Sacramento and Stockton, California. And I just, I canceled. Everybody go, whoa, 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 wait, wait, Reverend Bill, you're, you're canceling this. There's no problem. I said, there will be. Oh, no, 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 no. There's no problem. I said, no, that's it. I canceled 34 events, which is a lot of events when you got tickets and stuff and arrangements. But I knew, I knew it was time to do it. And then fortunately, uh, or unfortunately, uh, it came to be true. And, and and my slate is clean. If you want to know my slate is clean all the way till next summer, in case you wonder where it's yeah, going. Yeah. I haven't booked anything other than podcasts, radio shows, TV interviews, newspapers, magazines, just stuff I can do from here. But I can complain about that. But I'm looking, I go, well, I canceled 34 events, but I've done 226 podcasts and radio interviews. Wow. And, and I've done 30 videos that, of my own videos this year Yes, since pandemic started. And I got 900,000 views on my YouTube channel. I'm going, how many audiences would I have to go to in person? <laughs> 900,000 people. I can't even get 12 people in my house for a dinner party. Come on. <laughs> so everything, if you look at it as a road to enlightenment, a road to understanding, a gift, part of your education, a part of the opening up and, and expanding your heart. If you look at everything in that light, then everything becomes a different focus. You don't see everything as a dark, cloud you don't see it you walk into a dark room with no way out people feel this way because i'm counseling people on zoom and skype and on the phone and on facebook and everywhere you can from israel india germany bulgaria even belfast ireland i mean all over the fruited plain of the united states and everywhere and you know what they're all suffering from the same things. They think they're all unique. Bill, you don't understand. Reverend Bill, they're all saying the same thing. Once you get rid of the particulars, it all gets down to everybody's in the dark. Everybody's feeling anxiety. And there's a high, I mean this, there's a high level of depression out there. If depression was water and you're in the ocean, you're in the ocean, right? This great depression is you're swimming in this ocean. It's a deep ocean and you can't see the shores. People feel like that. And so I try to get people, and hopefully we'll do this in this conversation, which, quote, unquote, conversation. So far, I am the conversation. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> what, what, what's, what's, the old Irish, what's an old Irishman opens his mouth? It's like, God, God help everybody. Close the doors. Sit down. You ain't going nowhere. He's talking. Anyway, so there I am. That's my introduction, if that helped. That's fantastic. With all this that's gone on with the COVID and all that, whatever that is, do you think there was a supernatural component 
involved. So if we strip away the idea of the narratives of how it got in and what what's happening, if we go above all of that, is there something supernatural at play here? Actually, there is no supernatural anything. Everything is natural. It's only supernatural when we don't understand it. In other words, if we were zooming Abraham Lincoln back in 1865 or or whatever, right? He would have looked at this as, my God, this is, I, how'd you do that? Right? <laughs> well, I flew out here in an airplane to talk to you. You what? What's an airplane? Anyway, so when there's no understanding of what's really happening, then it it is supernatural. It's like if we went to some tribe in, in the, the jungles of Borneo or someplace that hadn't been discovered yet, and they saw a flashlight, you know, or a, a cell phone that could take pictures and you could show them instantly. I mean, they would think you were God, right? So I'm saying supernatural, no, but I will go back to this karma. This is a world karma. Hate, anger, and all this kind of stuff. And you got to realize that, oh, the devil made me do it. There's evil. I believe that God has made everything. Mm-hmm. And I think everything is made is his. I use his as a, a loose generic term because you can say her, it, yeah, you've talked about this in a lot of videos, or yeah, a few, yeah. Creator, all right, the creator of all this, everything's created by the creator. Yeah. Everything. That means angels, devils, demons, saints, sages. It's all the essence of God. Yes. And people don't want to buy into that. And so to have darkness, that gives a greater meaning to light. To have laughter gives you a great meaning to tears. Mm. You know, heads, tails, up, down. It's all about duality. So in, to create a world and to give, and why did, why God created a world, there's, there's, I can't have no answers. But God created this world. It's his dream. It's it's his, his vision. But he gave us these influences, these temptations, these things where our Willpower is tested every day. I mean, you could do alcohol and drugs. You could get hung up on gambling. You could become a saintly person and meditate all day long. Everything's a choice, right? Everything is a choice. So this disease, the world has brought this on by lowering the vibrations. Okay, let's, let's go into this. You may call that supernatural. I don't. But let's just say... The, the people in a country, let's say Nazi Germany at the time, the leadership, it didn't take many. It only takes a small minority of people with a certain lower vibration can really pull people, can pull a country down, can pull a society down, can pull a lot of things down, can create havoc. So it doesn't take a lot. The good news is it doesn't take many great souls great spiritual vibrating beings of light, whether they're sitting in a cave in the Himalayas or they're sitting in an apartment house in Los Angeles or <laughs> on a farm in Iowa. It doesn't make no difference. Wherever these great souls are at, meditating and praying and sending their healing energy out, it keeps this thing from falling apart totally. So there's a balance. Wherever you got bad, bad, evil, evil, you got great, great good on this end. And there's a balance it's just nature. It's yeah. natural. Yeah. So do I think demons are involved in this? No, but do I think there are demons? Yes. Do I think there's devil-like creatures? Yes. Do I think there's evil and darkness? Yes. But all in reflection, there's the opposite as well. I do believe in in angels and and ascended masters and light and love. Reverend Bill, what separates them? In one aspect, when we look at ourselves, there's you and there's your shadow. You know, your projected content that you do not want to see or interact with, the dark stuff you're repressing, and that that could be considered evil or your darkness. And and literally, as the light cast it to the floor, the wall, what separates these darker forces from these lighter forces when it's all really the same thing let's transgress into exorcisms possessions 
Let's do it. Since I'm having experience in that, I know if that's in your subject there, but we're going to segue into that. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right, so I'll take one that I've written about. The person's given me permission to talk about it once upon a time, so I do. But I knew this person all her life. And so she came to me 30, uh, maybe 25, 20 years ago, whatever it was, 30 maybe. And she said that she was possessed. Her family had this demonic force of energy, this darkness around it. And she starts going on about it and everything, how... And one day she's in her house and she hears these strange voices and her kids hear them. And, and they got the daughter's doll is sitting on the fireplace, fireplace, no fire in the fire, just sitting on the mantle. And all of a sudden, spontaneous combustion and the doll catches on fire, falls off the fireplace. That's unusual. Yeah, right? yeah. And then all of a sudden, the radio, television, record player, all go on full blast, just like that, right after the doll catches fire. And then all of a sudden, all the doors lock. Oh, my. And she wanted to get out of the house. <laughs> that was the beginning of her really questioning what's really going on there. And then she kept running into people. She was in Sacramento, and she went to Reno for something, and she's in a women's restroom or going into a women's restroom or something. And right outside there, some guy approached her before she went in, which is strange in itself, but not part of the story. <laughs> and he tells her, he, he gives her some kind of coded message that just sounds like, you got to learn to dance with the devil. <laughs> what the? And then she ran into another guy that said that to her, which was working as a waitress in a Denny's in Sacramento. Six months later, guy came up to her, you got to learn to dance with the devil. So by the time the third person said that, she's spoken out. All strangers. all <laughs> Very provocative. Movies. So all these things keep happening to her. So she thinks she's possessed. First thing I do as a minister, because I have to really look at people, because I get a lot of people come to me and say they're possessed, the devil made them do something. And most all cases, not all, most all cases, meaning 80% or better, there's a mental, emotional problem. Yes. Okay. So I will do something to work on that, because that's formable. And we can try to do something for that. But real possessions, when I come across one, and this one, here's the test. She was really believing the Catholic stuff and everything, so she decided while this was going on that she was going to go to uh, the Sacramento Diocese and ask about getting a priest to work on this for her. So they gave her this local priest guy, and he says, yeah, I've, I can look it up. I'll learn how to do it. I have to, I've never done one, but I'll, I'll do it. He kind of like, yeah, okay, I'll, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And she and he talked to her. He'd been twenty plus years as a minister, Catholic, you know, priest at that at, in the diocese. That's long. That's an avocation he's doing. It's not a hobby, right? She comes back next week when an appointment was set up, and he's not there. So she goes in the rectory or someplace and asks where he's at. And they said, "Oh, Father, whatever his name was, he quit." Oh my! Out of the blue. The guy from a week before going to do it till he quits the you know the day before she's supposed to get the exorcism. So she goes, well, that's kind of odd. They said, well, we'll get you somebody else. So a few weeks later, they line up somebody else. She goes and talks to this guy and says, here's the thing. He goes, no problem. Meet me here next week. She comes back next week. Not there. She goes, same directory. Oh, father so-and-so. He all of a sudden had a heart attack and died. Oh, my goodness. So now she's going, oh, my gosh, this is really bad. I better get Reverend Bill. <laughs> These guys weren't powerful enough, right? So now she's going to make it be <laughs> But she wants it done Catholic style. Now, if people have read my books or watched some of my videos, you know, I've done exorcism for uh, Kahuna religion, you know, the old Hawaiian religion. I could do things. Yeah. Several other shaman-type things. And, and in my own style, things I've learned and been taught in dreams and stuff. So I have probably five or six ways to go about it. Cause in the end, it's not about the ceremony. It's about the belief system that you're honoring of the person that you're doing. Yes. Because you need them to buy in. Yeah. And, and to be a part of that energy. So you use whatever their beliefs are. So it's not about my beliefs. It's about their beliefs, but it's always about the person that's doing the exorcisms 
energy. I've actually turned down doing a couple for a period of time because I was really sick. I was having heart attacks. You don't take something on like this at that level, needing the energy that you need, if you're physically incapacitated in any way, any way, boom, it'll wipe you out. And you can see what it's done to other priests that were healthy, right? Yeah. All right. So now I want to do this Catholic style. And uh, so I, I have a friend, and I will mention his name. I don't think you'll mind. Father Jack LaRocca. I, I believe he now lives in Wyoming or someplace. He's retired. But he's out there. And I went to him and I said, Jack. His <laughs> name made Father Jack. Jack. <laughs> I need a big container. I brought this big glass thing. I said, I need some holy water. And I need some rituals that you can look up at the Catholics. You know, I don't have access to them. Can you look them up? So he looked up the rituals and stuff for me and gave me this big container. It was like five-gallon glass lidded jar, holy water inside, which, <laughs> which he made and blessed like they do for what the ones they use in the church. Yeah. So I left his house and I said, you, you don't mind doing this. I mean, because you're kind of breaking the rules already, right? Your, your secret doctrine you're given to a guy that's not a Catholic. <laughs> Right. That's a rule. Right. You, know, you don't do that. Yeah. And, and second off, I said, you know, the first guy quit. The second guy died. I said, what's going to happen to you? Oh, no, no. I said, OK. So I warned him. So I got in the vehicle. I drove away. And then I'll tell you the story about that journey, because that gets weird. Meanwhile. That happened in the daytime that evening. He has a complete mental breakdown and the uh, the local bishop or whatever is whatever the next rank is above him, they took him to El Camino Hospital in uh, Mountain View, California, and they put him in a mental hospital. Oh, wow. Three weeks later, he finally gets out all drugged up. He had a total, he was just, right? So I'm thinking, one guy quit, one guy died, one guy had a breakdown, couldn't handle it. Oh, my goodness. You don't think there's evil out there? You don't think there's a force? Yeah. These were all strong guys. I mean, every one of them are strong in their own right. People start to take on, they think, they're, oh, I'm going to do house cleansing, and I'm going to do this. That. These people, you don't know what you're dealing with. It's not a figment of your imagination or anybody's imagination. It could be, as I said, you know, there's, if it's real, there's a real danger that an amateur, I mean an amateur doing something like this, if you think you could do it, that's not a good enough you have to know that you have the power within you to build this light shield around you. Otherwise, you're in great danger. Yeah. So meanwhile, I don't know he's in the mental hospital. I'm driving home from the Bay Area. It's two hours. And I get to the outskirts of my city, and this is back a number of years ago before they built houses out there in the country. with still dairy farms. And I'm driving into an area that this woman had called me. <laughs> she was panic-stricken because she was driving through a beautiful day, and she drove for this part of the country, and all of a sudden, she hit a fog bank. Oh, my. Kind of like one of those movies, The Fog. You can't see nothing in front of her, right? And then there's a dead animal in front of the road or something. All of a sudden, this Cadillac she's driving, the engine stops, and she's sitting in the middle of this country road, can't get her started, with fog. Totally <laughs> and she almost went nuts. I was just like, ah! Finally, eventually, she got the car started, and she got out of there. So she told me that story before so i had that thought in my mind and i'm driving down the same exact road it's a beautiful night you can see all the stars the milky way you know it was just beautiful clear all of a sudden up ahead the same area that she got caught in the fog there's this in the valley here we call it the tule fog you know it's the fog's about uh, six eight feet high you know you could get above it if you know if you climbed the ladder maybe but it's just you know car top high right yeah and all of a sudden i hit it and then it's like deathly quiet. It's the most <laughs> quiet. You could hear your eyelashes blinking on your cheeks. Right? I mean, it was quiet. You could hear your blood flowing through your temples. It was quiet, right? <laughs> you know, one of the few times that an Irishman's quiet is when he's actually. <laughs> so there I am sitting in the car. I slow down because I can hardly see, but I can see. I could see about 10 feet ahead. About, maybe, if it was a football field, it'd be 5, 10-yard line, maybe just that far. And I look out front, and I see a dead raccoon. 
another 10, 15 yards, a dead possum. Oh, my. Then a dead skunk. Then a dead crow. And then a dead squirrel. And then a dead groundhog. Wow. It, it was just animal and rodent and bird after bird after. Must have been a dozen of these things. I've never seen that in my life. Every every 10 yards or so, you got another dead animal just laying on the road. Yeah, this is strange. None of them run over. They're just laying there dead, like they just dropped dead crossing the road. Then finally, at the near the end of this fog, I look out there and I see a beautiful dead orange owl. Oh, my. I love the owls so much. And if you listen to my videos, read my books, you know, owls kind of like my totem, my symbol. Same my, here. Yeah. My occult touchstone. <laughs> so everything, you know, is my messenger. Whatever darkness is out there has just killed my totem, just killed my spiritual messenger. There it is, laying dead in the road. Feathers perfect. Everything's perfect. I drive around the owl, and I finally come out of the thing. I thought, wow. This is going to be an interesting exorcism. <laughs> As I'm on my way to that house to go do it. It's partnered with a, with a woman's living. And I go in there and I do about an hour and a half of stuff, including I gave her incense to burn and I, and I blessed all the windows, doors, vents, anything where anything could get in. I gave her a bunch of crucifixes to put on the walls. I mean, we really did a lot of stuff, right? And, and blessed all the family. And I had my sage. And I had my owl feather and I'm, you know, shifting smoke around the room and give her this container of holy water. And after I splashed it every entry, I said, every day for the next 30 days, you take and do exactly what I did. That will protect you inside here. And then sprinkle your children and yourself before you go out. That will protect you when you're out. Okay. So I think, okay, I did it. But I really could feel that something was fighting me. I mean, I was really, really, really working at this. I was exhausted when I got home. I come into my house. I go downstairs, and I got a sliding glass door off the patio. I just wanted – I felt something outside. I felt something evil mm-hmm. outside. And I, I'm concerned about my family and everything, right? So I open up my sliding glass door, and I stand out on my patio, and I look around. And above my redwood trees in my backyard and everything, there's this, like a glass of energy dome. Yes. I took a a glass, crystal glass bowl and put it upside down. But this one's big enough to cover my entire property. On the outside of that was a sparkling energy, like electric light going, and I could just hear it. On the other side are these most god-awful, ugly, vicious, terrible, looking entities. I was going to say creatures. I was going to say demons, devils. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing better describes it than entities. Just yeah. entities. they got like mouths kind of things with vicious teeth trying to, and, 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 you know, and they're, trying to, they're trying to attack me, but they keep hitting this energy field, this light, because all night long I was picturing this golden light around me, yeah. keeping darkness away. And so I look up there and I'm going, up until that moment, I was a skeptic. Yeah. And I went through, the, I did the whole thing. I, I'll follow this because I know the person believed it. And, and there is a placebo effect and all that. But there was a part of me still saying, well, I mean, even after the dead animals and all the rest. Yeah. I, I am a skeptic at art. I mean, it takes a lot, right? Yeah. And then I finally go, ah, oh, this is real. And had I been lesser my my energy being lesser, not that I'm a great person, but had I been, my energy not been where it's at, had I not had the training that I had, had I not practicing the protective things that I've always done, had I not been the product of 50 years at that time in, in environmental training, it would have got me too. I would have had a heart attack. I would have went nuts or I would have gave up on life or whatever. Yeah. But I knew that my family was protected. All right, so now, go back to what brought this out was like you said, well, what causes this or the origins of it? This person, this woman was telling fortunes, Mm. was doing a Ouija boards and her children started doing Ouija boards. I'm telling you right now, people, they treat it like a toy. You can buy it online. It's like a toy, you know, know, Ouija boards are not toys. 
and they really are a portal yeah. to a place that you better be very careful because you don't know who's answering those questions. Yes, no, spelling things out. You don't know who's giving you that information. You don't know who you've connected with. So all these religious people said, don't stay away from Islam. You know what? I agree with them. Stay away from Ouija boards. You know, and when you start taking on fortune telling, you're also opening the door for yourself to absorb whatever things that you got to be strong to do that. People, oh, you know, for fun, we're going to tell you. Unless you really, really have prepared yourself well, uh, there's danger there. It's like having another gateway. And that gateway for most people is psychedelics, various kinds of drugs and alcohol. These open doors. Yeah. And open doors. Any excessive sex can even do that. Yes, absolutely. Mostly, it's that door with alcohol and psychedelic stuff. You know, marijuana, I haven't seen that happen. Uh, Some of the lesser things. But the heavy stuff, yeah. Because when you're seeing these things under the drugs, it's like, oh, you're not just, it's not your mind. They're there. You just always got a portal. You've opened the door. Yeah. It's like when people go and do DDTs with alcoholism, people going, yeah, they treat it, the doctors treat it like, well, they're crazy. No, they're seeing snakes. They're seeing things. Yeah. They're real to them. We can't see them. They've passed through that portal. So be really, really careful. It's like when people, they go to a foreign country and somebody in a temple or somebody gives them a mantra and they just take it without knowing its meaning. When they do it, they mispronounce the words. I was in India 20, well, many times, but about 2010, I think it was. And the guru at the time, he told me, he says, he'd want to take all these telephone calls coming in from everybody around the world. You know, but they saw his video. They think they're a friend and they'll call him and talk to him. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so the phone is ringing at the ashram. So he said, Bill, take care of those calls. You know, I trust you. You know, I said, Okay says, and then when I'm hanging around him that morning, he said, he had a talk with some of the Indian guys, the young Indian guys, and I was listening, and he says, in case you wonder, and he's talking to me and looking at me at the same time, he says, why I don't give a lot of Indian mantras, very few, to Westerners. I said, yeah, well, I kind of thought about that. He says, because if you mispronounce them, mm-hmm. they don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. They take on an opposite meaning. In other words, you think you're invoking God and light and you'd be doing just the opposite if you're mispronouncing them and, and not doing them correctly. He told me that. I go, wonder why he told me that. Never told me that before. You know, when you're an astronaut and a guru says something, you always say, that's no accident. He told me that. Something's up. So about an hour and a half later, the guru's out <clears throat> giving a little sad saying with a bunch of people <clears throat> at the ashram. And uh, I'm in there answering the phone at the ashram office. And somebody calls from San Diego. And, and they go, we got to talk to, we got to talk to the guru. We, and the guy tried to explain to me, I said, tell me what's going on. Somebody sent them this little box, you know, like one of those little puzzle boxes you open up inside of wood and you slide this and you do that. Yeah. And inside there was a piece of paper with a mantra. They don't know who sent it to them. They don't know what the mantra means. But they open it up finally and they read the mantra over and over. Oh, right dear. <laughs> Next thing you know... <laughs> I, and I'm listening to that and I'm believing them because I'm hearing people scream. There's a whole group of, of men and women that are screaming and yelling and terrified something was happening in their house. It was like the devil was there or something, right? It was like they were going crazy. And they, we need help now, now. You can't wait till talk to the guru later. And I said, just a minute. I took the phone. It was portable. I took it out, interrupted his sad saying. He gave me that look like, okay. I handed him the phone. And then I heard what he said. You know, I told him, told them how to do it, what to say, how to get rid of this, kind of destroy the, all the stuff involved in it. But the bottom line was you don't go repeating something unless you know you're doing it correctly. So yeah. if you give it a mantra, make sure you repeat it back to the person you're giving it to so they know you're doing it correct, number one. And number two, don't just go reading a mantra and you think you got it right because most people don't pronounce things correctly. There's a lot of people out there that are very good with languages. I'm one that have terrible languages, so I definitely don't do that. Yeah. Demons, the devil, darkness, I've seen it enter the hearts of people. I've seen it enter the hearts of people in Vietnam. I've seen it enter the hearts of, of criminals when I was a chaplain at Folsom Prison. 
and I'm listening to these guys talk and tell me about the 16 women they raped and the seven people they killed and, and the dogs and the cats they tortured. And, and you start listening to these people and I start looking at them and I'm looking at their soul and I'm looking at their aura and, and I'm going, oh my God, this guy literally is possessed. Yeah. He allowed this to happen. They took that demented mind and it made it even more brutal. So yes, there are people out there that the devil made them use it, but ultimately it's always free will on how that happened. There's a lot of beautiful channelers out there. And I know some, and they're lovely people and they're doing some good work. All right, let's just say that. But you got people out there that are channeling with no protection. Boom, they just go out there. They don't know who they're getting. Yeah. Somebody says they're a great master from a prior great race. You don't know from another planet. You don't know who you're dealing with. And you believe everything they tell you, and then you allow them to take over who you are and your personality. You're responsible for that information that's disseminated. That's on you. So if you're disseminating some bad information, that's your karma, right? So just be careful. But when you open the door to let others come in and possess you, you better be very careful who they are because they may not want to leave. Yeah. I'm a journey person. I've found myself in a lot of different rooms and pathways, and I'm seeking. I'm always seeking. That said, I'm a cautious person, and that spurs from having had very strange experiences from a very young age, and that's also part of what's pushed me into all these different are onto all these different pathways, trying to explore and understand these rather fantastic experiences and synchronicities that happen around me that everyone around me sees and experiences as well. And so I have no idea what they are. I have no answers for anyone, and I'm looking for answers myself. I do see in the world around me and in my lifetime this explosion into the occult. Now, as we know, the occult is the hidden or the unseen, and I find it provocative and I find it sexy, but I don't find it uh, something to play with. I do not find it something that is a fashion statement. I think that people need to go into anything that is unseen, especially when we're talking about tomes, including the canon. And so it behooves you to get into a space and part of getting into that space is understanding who you are what's you what's the voice in your head what's this chatter that goes on and trying to understand yourself and do this kind of psychological work with this booming occultism that's going on now that is i find appalling and and i'm a person that i'm sitting in a being in a room with all kinds of amazing tomes and you know mary statues as well and i'm a student but to be able to go pick up some of these tools and to just use them is folly as you were just saying especially if you've not done the work and what i'm seeing is people getting a tarot deck and then they're next thing you know they're on instagram and they're reading tarot for five dollars for everyone and they just got into tarot last week and that's just a silly surface level example in my lifetime of noticing this boom that kind of started with the new age movement here's where we are with it it's everywhere what i'm seeing now seems like we've opened pandora's box and every other person is picking up Solomonic stuff and calling upon the Goetic demons and kings of hell and all their legion. And then we've got New Agers calling upon this archangel and commanding them in their own way. It all seems like we've created this or we're in this space now that is a little bit feels a little bit out of control. And when I'm in public, when I've been in public, I'm noticing a difference in the common folk. And I've started to question this narrative. Now, there is an interterrestrial or extraterrestrial or ET kind of aspect to that. Now, I'll, we'll get into that. I want to get into that for sure. But I'm noticing this river 
And it's a river now. It started out as a little trickle, and now it's a river. Is there serendipity here? Is this part of the greater flow in karma and consciousness and in moving through tides of awareness? Is there something else going on? Where are you landing with this idea? And first of all, do you even do you notice this change in the collective? First off, I get involved with exorcism not because I'm into the occult. It's because I'm a spiritual doctor. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm there to help this person get out whatever whatever bad situation they're in. I'm not there to, to make friends with the devil. I mean, you know, it's yeah, like, yes. Uh, so I think a lot of people get into the quote-unquote the occult. I mean, uh, everything from casting spells and fortune-telling, all these things. The highway is love. And it's all about finding the creator and spending time with the creator in love. Yeah. And so if you go to meditate and clear your mind and get these, if you go in there to get cities, powers, abilities, astral travel, move objects with your mind, uh, you know, be in two places at once, become invisible, walk through walls. I mean, all these things, right? If you're trying to do any of that, then you've you've taken a, a road off the highway. I agree. I totally um, agree. The thing is, when you're meditating with God, you're not going there for gifts, abilities. Even if, even if it's something beautiful, like I'm going there to find peace of mind and you know all this other stuff. No, you go to meditation to spend time in love with God. To be in love with God. And there's a big difference between going there trying to get something. It's like the creator's Santa Claus. I want all these things. And you're, it's like being able to do all these, read minds and do all these things is powers. Why? Does it make you wiser? Does it make you more loving and compassionate? Does it bring you closer to God? The answer to that is no. But if you do meditate deeply and in love with God, certain aspects of your being your energy in your life will manifest. They're not manifesting for you to have them as a toy to play around with them. You know, like to go out and charge people for reading the future or whatever. That's not why you're <laughs> giving the gift. These gifts are there for you to use to help yeah. elevate change. It's all about evolution. And so I've had, th- I have things happen all the time, but it's not, it's not there to just, entertain me and it's not there to uh uh for my benefit it's there to inspire hopefully inspire others when i talk about them but the whole idea is inspire people to find god seek the kingdom of god first and everything else will be given so if you're after the gifts and not the gift giver then then you got a problem and that's the trouble with the occult people going that direction uh i'm not saying it's a sin it's bad I'm just saying you're not paying attention to why we're here. A lot of people have baggage with the idea of God. And this is why I said I was given the gift of finding my own path. And so I've, I've never had that baggage. And for me, that architect or that, that energy, that essence. And and for me, it's also love. Love is the key. It's the master key. Is I can encounter this energy anywhere. And of course, it starts within self. And so I notice how much struggle there is with the concept or the idea of a word, God. Well, that's because the human mind can conceive anything that it, it can't create. Yeah. Uh, nobody can tell you what God is, who God is. Right. Uh, anybody that tells you God is this, God is that, that's an intellectual concept. And it's, it's nobody, nobody wearing a body knows God. I mean, really knows what it's all about. So we struggle with that. And mankind from the days of the caveman till now, we're all trying to figure out what this, our father is and, you know, in heaven and all that stuff. 
we don't know. We don't know if it's an energy, it's just a light. Sometimes I think it's a collective us. Yeah. Um, Try to get a mental handle on this. When was the first day? (laughs) (laughs) And if you got a first day, what was before the first day? (laughs) Yes. Right? Uh, And if you go out in outer space, you keep going and going and going and going. Where's the end? Now, Einstein said, if you keep going out in a straight line for trillions of light years or whatever, you end up back where you started. That's a theory. How do you prove this, prove that? I yeah. don't know. <laughs> so, and then if it's a sphere, well, what's outside the sphere? Are there other spheres? You know, maybe there's a sphere. Maybe we're just a big sphere rotating like a, an atom in, you know, in a molecule someplace else, you know, in a greater <laughs> being. So, I, I, I was talking to some Himalayan guru guy and up, up in the mountains in India on my first trip. And he's going on. He says, you know, back 25,000 years ago or some length of time. I mean, we'll back, way back. And he goes, we didn't have words for like telescopes, microscopes and all that stuff. He says, but we knew that if you had some device where you could, you could look at the smallest thing ever created. If you looked at it, it would look like the night sky, like the Milky, it would look like the stars. So you shrank them down or you got bigger, then you would have something. In other words, if you took man and you kept expanding the man to 50 feet, 100 feet, three, 2 billion miles wide, whatever, at some point in time, you'll be able to see through his atoms and you'll see all these atoms, these billions yes. of atoms body, as a solar system. Yes. So he says that was a concept that, that the ancients believed. I'm thinking about that. I go, wow. And he says, yeah, we believe God made man in his image, but that's it. The macro and the micro were all one and the same. It's all made the same image. It's all these little worlds of energy. So that kind of stood by me. I haven't read that anywhere. This guy, from a conversation, I'm going, wow. How'd they know there was things evolving? How'd they know about something like an atom? They didn't call it an atom, but it was like they had something there. Even though that existed. So the only way you can know stuff like that existed is to actually become one with the, the universe and have a universal awareness and oneness of all. So samadhi or rainbow body yeah. or some kind of experience in, in, in that field of, of energy. So, yeah, I, I don't know what that had to do with your question, but there you go. Oh, but that was beautiful. <laughs> and it reminds me of the Mandelbrot, like fractals. That they now call it, right? It's the same concept, but it you know, wasn't named at any point. This is more in modern history that brings that whole idea and concept and that, that kind of math into play through visuals. I was in India, and there was a friend of mine. He was a young man then. He was in his late 20s. And he was at the foot of, the, of this guru. And uh, the guru asked him to wash his feet, massage him. And uh, he was doing his feet. All of a sudden, I look at this young guy, and all his hair, like like he was electrical curtain. <laughs> yes. His hair and his arm, all the hair in his body is up. He falls over on the floor right while he's massaging this guru's feet. And the guru asked him, what's happening? He says, he says, I'm doing your feet. He says, and, and he used the word frackles. At the time, I didn't know exactly what he was talking about, but the little images that just, you know, keep the same, keep growing. Yeah. He says he saw these blue lotuses. Oh, yes. Coming out of his feet. <laughs> and he was overwhelmed with just bliss and joy. Now, later on, because he didn't know at the time, uh, but, you know, there's Yogananda wrote a song, Blue Lotus Feet of My Guru. But there's that whole thing about the blue lotus feet of the guru. Yeah. I always thought that was a metaphor. (laughs) Watching this guy have that experience and him talking about it with the blue lotus coming out, I realized that it's not just a metaphor. It is. Yeah. Oftentimes, that's the truth. And there really are things that we have no grasp of. There's things that we think are mythology or uh, it's told to us in riddles or, you know, it's it's just a nice thing, but they tell the story this way. And sometimes it really is what it is. In that case, 
Blue Lotus Feet really was the Blue Lotus Feet of, of the Guru. And there goes the good Reverend Bill McDonald. Since we wrapped it in such a fast way, you may find Reverend Bill at his website, RevBillMcDonald.com. R-E-V Bill McDonald, M-C-D-O-N-A-L-D.com. And his YouTube channel is Bill McDonald. But if you type in Reverend Bill McDonald in the search, he comes right up. So with that, I want to thank you for coming in on the first hour here with the Good Reverend. And it was such a pleasure to interact with Reverend Bill. I'm going to have more interactions, hopefully. He was willing, I'm willing, so if there's time... We will do more. He has so many stories. There's so much going on in the well bank of his wisdom and life experience. It's unbelievable, really. And as you could tell, he's a great storyteller and had me laughing in pretty much throughout the whole thing, except for when it wasn't time to laugh and I was completely compelled. So with this gift of this show in this first hour with the Reverend, I would like to thank my producers, Michael Watcher, Melanie Poe, Christy Tesmer, and Marin Kramer. Thank you all kindly for spending time in the Cosmic Salon. <laughs>